Good morning to each of you. It's good to be here. Good to see all your faces again. Good to have our visitors with us. Pray that you are welcomed here and that you can worship with us. Why don't you all stand up? I'm going to give you some instructions. If you'll move around a little bit, shake hands with your neighbor and tell them that you are rich. I'll explain that in a minute. Thank you. You may be seated. Did you believe what you said? What's your perspective? What are we talking about? Are we automatically thinking about money when we talk about being rich? Are we talking about our blessings from God? What's, what's if, what's, give me a few things. What, what went through your mind when I, when I made that statement? What did you think of? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Family of God. I like that. Well, they say there are no True get-rich schemes? Maybe that one would work. All right, so rich in the world or rich in God? I guess you could put that as a title if you want. There was a Gallup poll conducted that found that Americans think if they made more money, their troubles with money would be reduced. Kind of a logical assumption. If they made uh, the the findings of that study were if they made if the person made thirty thousand or less per year, the average amount that they thought would solve their money problems was seventy four thousand dollars. If I could make seventy four thousand, I would be I would I would be fine. I wouldn't have these money problems. Um, and going farther, if the person made around $50,000 a year, they thought that uh, 100000 would solve their issues. <clears throat> How do you define income? Is it your gross or is it your net? Is it before or after taxes? With or without insurance? Do you count... 401k, you count profit sharing, you count vacation time. What, what is your income? What is it worth? What is your total value? Let's turn to in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 20. And we will see what the preacher has to say about money, as he calls himself the preacher. 
Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his own hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his father's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. And this also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. How much of your life did you hear in this little passage? This, this is real life. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is real life here. You have the cycle of working and being compensated. And then you have investments. And then you have crashes in the market. And you have life happening, such as the birth of a child. And then you're at a low place financially. And it's this, this cycle that just goes over and over and over. And Solomon says, this is a great vexation but there is reward in that cycle if with the proper perspective verse 18 I have seen to be good and fitting to drink and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toiled under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him this is his reward just the simple fact of Working can be a reward in itself. Just because you work doesn't mean you are owed compensation of monetary value. There can be a reward for just the good feeling of working hard is a reward. Also, reaping the benefits of your hard labor such as, in verse 19, to eat from, his, eat from his labors and receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. 
So there's there's benefit there. I mean, you can if you grow a garden, you could benefit from that. There is reward, physical reward. A few statistics: if you make thirty-seven thousand dollars a year, you are in the top four percent of wage earners in the world. Thirty-seven thousand dollars puts you in the top four percent. $45,000 a year puts you in the top 1% in the world. Let that sink in for just a minute. How many billion people are in the world? Eight, nine? Somebody help me out. I didn't I actually put a number on there. Billions of people. And if you make $45,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. More than half of the world's population live on less than the average American pays for cable TV. 30 to $45, $50. Less than $2 a day. More than half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Consider this perspective from a third world country resident. Americans are so rich, and not just Americans, but Western, Westerners, could be some European countries as well. They are so rich, they own a car. Only 3 to 5% of the world owns a car. They might even have two or three cars. And they even have a house for their cars. We call it a garage. They drive down the street past 20 restaurants where they pay others to make their food and serve it to them and clean up the mess afterwards. They eat so much that they get fat. And then they go to the gym and pay someone else to help them exercise. They have closets in their house, little rooms for just clothes. Some even have one closet for the man and one for the woman. Their shelves full of clothes to the ceiling. They're for hot weather, for cold weather, for work, for church, for hunting, etc., etc. Maybe you could make the argument, it's not our fault. We are barraged with marketing. Mass marketing and consumerism is saturated our culture. There are some companies that promote luxury brands, make you feel rich, make you feel good. Your appearance is such that people will hey, maybe admire you a little. Luxury brands such as Mercedes, Ethan Allen, Ralph Lauren, etc., etc., to touch a few different aspects of our, of our life to make us feel rich. And then you have budget brands to appeal to your conservative values, your, your idea of being thrifty, getting a good deal for 
less money, such as Walmart, Hyundai, Old Navy. Good quality, but a lot less than those luxury brands. And we can identify with that, that uh, I'm being a good steward of my money. I'm not going and buying the top of the line, the best of the best, but yet I'm getting a good value for my money. Kind of sucks us in, the mindset. Turn to Luke 18. <clears throat> Verse 18 to 30. Very familiar passage, story about an interaction between a rich young man and Jesus. Luke 18 and verse 18. A certain ruler questioned him, Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So not only is he rich, probably by inheritance, but he is a quote-unquote good person. He's been raised in a good home, and he does the right things by the law. Verse 22, and when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let that sink in for a minute. Have you ever been next to a camel, maybe ridden on a camel? They are huge. Have you ever sewn a button on? Have you ever done embroidery? And you think about it, that needle is only about an inch and a half long. And the thread is... Very, very thin, and it's got to go through a hole in that tiny little needle. I have trouble getting the thread to go through the eye of the needle. Just being quite honest here. I have trouble. I mean, give me a darning needle, maybe, and then and some thread. Not yarn, th thread. I can get it through there. But Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. If I held a needle up here, you couldn't even see the, you probably couldn't even see the needle, much less that hole in it. It's easier for a camel to go through that eye of that needle than for a rich man to go into heaven. He didn't say it was impossible. Very difficult. And the people's response in verse 26, and they who heard it said, who then can be saved? It's, it's impossible. But Jesus said, Things impossible with men are possible with God. 
Peter said, Behold, we, we have left our own homes and followed you. Peter said, we've, Peter thought they made a pretty big sacrifice. We've, we've left our homes. We've been out here on the road with you for three years, and we don't even know where we're sleeping half the time. I mean, sometimes you perform a miracle so we have something to eat. The only income we have is what people give to us. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So there's the, there's the impossibility in our perspective. The camel going through the eye of the needle. Trading the things that we have on earth for the kingdom of God. To get all of our stuff to go through the passage to the kingdom of God. That's, that's what looks like the impossibility to us. How do I get all my stuff to go through to the kingdom of God? The kingdom of heaven. It is impossible from our perspective. Jesus said you have to just leave that stuff and then follow me. So we read this, I, I read, I'll, I'll just be straight up with you. I read this many times, I've heard it read many times. This rich young man, he was, he was kind of, he's different than me. He's rich, he was extremely rich because he was very, it says he was very sorrowful because he was extremely rich. But yet I don't look at myself as rich. What did I just tell you? If you make $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% in the world. More than half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Now, that wouldn't even be possible in our culture in America, I don't think, to live on less than $2 a day. But the point stands, I am rich. Financially, I have, I, I don't even have any idea how much, I didn't count it, but I've got a few dollars, I got about $45 in my wallet, I don't normally carry much cash, but I happen to have a little bit, that in itself is like a month's income for most people, for over half the people in the world, I am rich, so when I change my mindset to think that I am rich, and I read this, it, uh, it's a brick on the forehead type of moment. And I say, well, I've made sacrifices. I mean, there's people that I would like to be friends with, that I would like to hang out with, that I can't because I'm a Christian. Um, there's places I would like to go, but you know, I can't because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. I've, I've given up a lot of stuff. You know, I choose to drive a, an economy vehicle um, that's got a lot of miles on it because I want to be a good steward of my money. I, I'm really making sacrifice here. What did Jesus say? There was no one who has left house or wife 
or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom, who shall not receive it many times over in the kingdom of heaven? What? I didn't even mention any of that stuff. I've got a house. I've got three vehicles. I'm not sacrificing much. How many of you remember the slogan from our friends in mass marketing that says, what's in your wallet? Anybody know where that... What company that was? Capital One. One. Credit card. Everybody should at least have heard this. You may not know how long it's been, but bet you can't eat just one. Where's that one from? Lay's Potato Chips. Back in the 60s when they came out with that one. But it's the mindset. It's good. You want more? Oh well, bet you can't eat just one. It's like it's almost like a dare. Bet you can't eat just one. So what's in your heart? Kind of a little play on what's in your wallet. What's in your heart? We've got to shift our mindset from earning and hoarding and saving to gratitude and stewardship. Not that earning and saving are wrong, but when the focus becomes those things, everything else just kind of blurs off into into the background. Sixty-one percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And many of them typically spend more than they earn. How do you cover the difference? It's pretty pretty simple economics. If I make $100, but I spend $110, wait a minute. I don't have $110 to spend. I only have $100. Where does it come from? Credit cards. Depleted savings account. If, if you were, I don't know how you're going to have a savings account if you're living paycheck to paycheck, but payday loans, cash advance. I mean, has anybody noticed the explosion of cash advance places in the last 10 years? They're everywhere. Maybe it's an early 401k withdrawal or a loan against your 401k. There's many, many ways that people make up the difference. And I'm not insinuating that people here live this way. I know many of you are very wise in your finances. The point is, what's our, what's our focus? Is it improving my, my current life? Getting more? What do I need? How do I get it? So what would it be like to have money left over? To pay all the bills, maybe save some too, and to have enough to give to a need and not feel stressed. There's quite a stark difference between 
paycheck to paycheck, and having extra. Well, I need to earn more. That's, that's how we can fix this. If I earn, had more money, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did the Gallup poll say? If you made $30,000 or less a year, the amount to solve your money problems is $74,000 a year. If you made $50,000 a year, I need $100,000. It doesn't matter where you're at. You always need more. You know, the, <clears throat> you think about uh, fixing money problems, there's two, really two, only really two solutions. And one of them kind of plays off the other. That is to earn more and to spend less. It's kind of like uh, losing weight. More good stuff, less bad stuff. I mean, that's, that's pretty simplistic, but so which is, which is the easiest option, to earn more or to spend less? Could be, could be a toss-up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the latter, that it's easier to spend less, especially in our culture, specifically in our culture. Not saying it's impossible to earn more, but we only have a certain amount of time and energy in the day. And we have to be careful with that as well. <clears throat> Proverbs 21, verse 20. A little bit of a more wisdom from the preacher. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. The principle of planning ahead, saving. God wants you to have enough and to not have to worry. We don't have to be wealthy to have enough. We don't need six figures to be wealthy. And we don't have to be a two-income household. Shifting our mindset from earning and saving to gratitude and stewardship is a choice. We must manage the money that God has given us. Or we will choose by default to mismanage the money. Not choosing is a choice. Not making a decision is a choice. Let's go to the New Testament for a few scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6 through 10 and then also verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Very same idea that Solomon gave back in Ecclesiastes. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and hurtful desires which plunge a man into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. And then verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in this world, present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure, the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let's be honest, we all want to look good. Physically, socially, we want to be we want to be appreciated. We want to look good. But we've got to be careful because it's a trap. Did you happen to notice all the negative aspects of riches that Paul talks about in verses, um, verse, starting verse 8, now verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, foolish and harmful desires, plunge men into ruin, destruction, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith, pierced them through with many a pain. It's not really a pretty picture of the desire to be rich. It brings a lot of negative things. But then he, he recognizes that some people are rich by the world's standards, but it's not really their goal. It's just it's what God has given them. In verse 17, instruct them not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, and store up a treasure. There's the uh, the aspect of saving treasure of good foundation for the future but also he applies the spiritual aspect of it so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed don't let the riches of the world distract you from the riches of the kingdom Matthew 6 Verses 19 to 21. Again, a very familiar passage. Jesus is teaching about riches. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is your treasure? Is it greenbacks? Or is it souls in the kingdom of God? 
It's more than just a lifestyle problem. This is a spiritual problem. It's not just the fact that we are rich financially and that we tend to mismanage our money. It's just a tendency. The more we have, the more we spend. At the heart of it, there's a spiritual issue. The average Christian gives 2% of their income to charity or kingdom work, which includes the church. That means 98% is for me. God is generous with us. He gave us mercy, grace, forgiveness, new life, and nothing else really matters if we're a Christian. A few more passages that I would like to, to read to bring some of this out. In Hebrews 5. And I really appreciated the scripture reading this morning, which I actually uh, have a portion of that passage to read as well. But uh, let's, let's go to Hebrews first here. Hebrews 5, verse 1 and 2. I think I wrote it down wrong. I think it's supposed to be Romans. Yes, sorry. Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Hold it. We could preach for an hour on those two verses. Can you say rich, been justified by faith, peace with God? I mean, those two things right there are set us apart so far from the world. Through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We're rich. We are rich. We are justified by faith. Then let's go to Ephesians, where we were earlier today, in chapter 3. Hopefully you were listening, as Terry read this morning, but most of chapter 2 that he read, and the first part of chapter 3 as well, just some of the amazing things that God has done for us and what we've been blessed with. But I would like to focus in on the last part of the chapter in Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 3, starting verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, so that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. I'm already, my mind's already reeling of being empowered by the Holy Spirit in my inner man. I mean, that's, that in itself is, is amazing. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I don't even really know what to say. That's one of that's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And I'm it says I'm supposed to comprehend this, but I'm I'm really struggling with that. The breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You are to contain God's love. Like, completely filled. Now to Him, and this this is the, the verse that's just like, it's like the final finishing touch to the whole thing. It's like the cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I once heard a preacher preach on this verse, or he, he was, yeah, he was expounding on this verse, and he says, he started out, now to him who is able to do all that we ask, according to his power, and he said, no, not according to what, all, all we ask or think, and he said, but no, it's beyond all, exceedingly, abundantly. Way more than you can imagine. That's the power of Christ. You be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, the Christ in your inner man, so you can even comprehend the love of Christ filling you that much. That's how generous God is. He gives that to us just gives it to us on top of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. He gives us his love that generously. So are we generous people? And I'm going back to the financial part of this that I was referring to again earlier. Are we generous people? In light of what we've been given as Christian, do we Reciprocate. Read a verse in Proverbs 22, verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Um, I forget which translation it is. There's another translation that says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed. I really like that, giving the idea of looking for ways to be generous. It's not just kind of like, 
well, they told me they had a need, or they, you know, they expressed a need, and so I, I, I can help them. I, I'm, I'm well enough, I, I'm doing well enough right now, and I, I can help them. That's assuming we've gotten to the point where we, we're not living paycheck to paycheck, and we have the ability to give without freaking out that I'm going to have enough money to pay my electric bill next week. So there's a whole other aspect of managing money that I didn't even really touch on. Hopefully most of you have had some exposure in that situation. A few questions you might ask yourself in regards to being generous to other people. God, who can I bless in this present situation? What do I have that I could use to make a difference? It might not just be money. It could be your time. It could be your experience, your skills. It could just be your ear, listening. Another question. What is the need here, and what can I do to meet it? Sometimes we actually have to focus that intentionally to get our brain to process and understand. In closing, two more short scriptures that I would like to to touch on. Luke 6, 38. Give... And it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. How many of you have ever uh, went to a store, I'm thinking specifically of maybe a bulk food store, health food store, where they have large containers of bulk product, and they sell it by the pound. And you say, I want two pounds, three pounds of that particular, maybe you're going to buy seeds or something, and they, you, you want so many pounds of that particular product. And so they get you a bag, and they set it up on the scale, Zero the scale out, and then they start scooping, pouring in there. And it's the, you see the needle, or maybe it's a bar scale, and you see that, that bar, all of a sudden it comes up, and it's, it's exactly what you asked for. And then they scoop in there again and trickle just a little more on top. You ever had that happen? And you're like, wow, that's awesome. They gave me a little bit more than I asked for. And then when they, put, they write on the bag or they print a label out or whatever, and it says... The amount on the label is what you asked for. So you got some for free. Sort of. That's a good feeling, right? I got, I got more than I asked for, and they didn't charge me for it. Feels good. Everybody likes that feeling. So let's, let's measure to other people the way we like to receive. You know, Jesus said, I mean, it's, 
is probably the most, one of the most well-known adages that comes from the Bible that our culture calls the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's become so commonplace that people just, just pass that phrase around. Oh, it's, you know, the golden rule. But it's, everybody likes to be treated well. So let's treat people well. What goes around comes around. And Jesus says, the same measure that you use will be measured back to you. So if you press down, shaking together, and running over, I mean, you can fill a, how many of you have ever done this? You've, you filled a bag up with, say, sawdust, something fluffy. Got this big paper bag full of sawdust. Fill it up, and it's full. Oh, no, it's not full. You stick your fist down in there mash it down in a little bit. Man, you can get half again as much in there. Fill it up again. Well, it's still not full, so you take it and you kind of slam it down on the floor a couple times and it just kind of keeps settling down and you mash it some more. That's what he's talking about. And then you heap it up and it's running over and you get there and it's, you know, it's not running over anymore. It's, it's settled together. Getting more than you pay for. People enjoy receiving that as well. And one more reference in 2 Corinthians <clears throat> Verse, chapter 9, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. Uh, let's read verse 10 as well. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. I think the King James may say, um, you will be rich in every way. That's, that's what Paul is talking about. The... Uh, the gifts from the church. But he says, because of your generosity, you will be rich in every way. Or, you will be enriched in everything, in all liberality. Kind of some big words, but you will, you will have more than, more than you can imagine. I want to go back to that, to that verse in Ephesians. I just, I, I love, I love the word picture there. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 